Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We got to talk, of course, what we always talk about, USC Trojan football, maybe a little defense um, here with the uh, triple-double Connor Morissette. We are live on our YouTube channel uh, over at Inside Troy, and of course, we're recording for uh, the podcast across all of the podcasting platform. So thanks for joining us. However you are listening or watching us, we appreciate it very much. And yeah, like I said, we're going to probably talk some USC defense. Uh, it's the middle of the week. Talk about USC, uh, you know, a little bit on USC and Colorado and then looking ahead, uh, USC and Arizona this weekend. The Trojans come home after a uh, two-game road trip there. This seemed like this would be the better homecoming option, Connor, than Washington. This is like two weeks away from home. An easier opponent. I don't know. USC picked a Washington game for homecoming, so it's it's a little more bold choice, I guess. Definitely a bold choice, but hey, Washington, they didn't look fantastic against Arizona, so we'll see what happens down the line. I agree, though. I feel like this weekend, first October game, that makes a little bit more sense to me, I thought. Yeah. Um, we had a, real, a little comment I want to, since if you're going to compliment us, I might just put it up right before we even finish the <laughs> intro. Um, if I can, let me see, pull it. If it'll pop up, maybe it won't. Okay, uh, I'll have to fix that as we go. Uh, great job on the Hall, uh, Hall of Victory interviews from Ted. Uh, thank you, Ted, for that. Appreciate it. We've been, uh, Connor and I, on a, on like this, where we're, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, we've been doing once a week uh, interviewing a player on Sunday for about a half hour or so. They've, they've been really gracious with their time, and Hall of Victory has been helping us set those up. So thank you, uh Ted, for the kind words, I'll see if I can work on getting the uh, comments put up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, you don't really care. But we're, you know, for the viewers, we're going to try to get that fixed. Uh, we have a ton of questions today. If you have a question for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. And uh, you can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. I think we have one or two texts and we have like three voicemails for the show. So thank you so much um, for doing that. We really, uh, really appreciate everyone kind of tuning in and uh, sending us questions and giving us topics to talk about and all that kind of fun stuff. So um, and wanted to thank um, everyone that's sent us a five-star review over on Apple podcast. If you would not mind doing that, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, also before we get into everything, want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's a lot of thanks today, but uh, yeah, Trader Joe's, Love going in there. Uh, I tried to stop in before the show. I didn't get to stop in this week, so I'm going to go a little bit later today. But I look, look. I, try, I like to look at some of the recipes. They got like a pasta sort of themed um, thing at the top of TraderJoe's.com if you want to check it out. And uh, the the one thing that's up on the I'm looking at some of the pasta recipes, and I've I'm a I'm a chicken parm guy. I like it. They have chicken parmioli, so um, you know, check it out. Uh, it's a dinner <laughs> recipe. They, have, they make fun little names for it, Connor. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say what a what a fun name that kind of caught my attention without even like thinking. Just hearing that word, I haven't heard that word before. Oh, what are you talking about? That's good advertising. Yeah, they uh, so they have like they they use the marinara sauce, which I love using that stuff. Uh, they have organic chicken nuggets, four cheese ravioli, and then a mozzarella cheese log. So like the there's like ravioli, 
chicken nuggets with ravioli, and then you cut the mozzarella and melt it on top with the. It looks really good. I'm like, I would try that. So who, who doesn't love a cheese log? I mean, you know, and you cut up the. I, I love big slices of mozzarella on top. Oh of yeah. Stuff. It, oh yeah. Melty and goodness and all that kind of fun stuff. So. Uh, very cool about that. So we got to jump into kind of what's going on um, with the team. Obviously, USC uh, defeats Colorado a little closer than what people wanted, 48 uh, to 41. It was a little duo between uh, Caleb Williams and Shudor Sanders. Uh, Caleb Williams is uh, right now the favorite, again, to repeat as the uh, Heisman Trophy winner. So he uh, he looked spectacular, had his first interception, but you know, one interception, five games, you'll give him that. Six touchdowns. Um, he has 24 touchdowns through five games, even though he didn't play a lot of the first three games. And then uh, he at this time last year, though, you know, the year he won the Heisman, only had 15 touchdowns only. But so he's uh, well, you know, well ahead of his pace uh, from last year. And we got to talk to uh, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch yesterday after practice about sort of like, you know, what was going on. Obviously, USC had this big lead. Was it? 34 7 or whatever it was, and uh, comes back down to earth, and uh, it ends up being 48 41. Um, there's a dude, I'm Marion Miller. I put a picture up, up on the screen right now. Hadn't had a catch, and it gets 196 yards in the second half. You're like, what? Like, how does something like that happen? Now, he was a stud recruit, but hadn't done anything, and USC almost gives up 200 yards to him in a half. Uh, very Dorian Singer like. Oh, Singer got more touchdowns last year, if you remember. And uh, Shudor Sanders, like, look really good. I mean, he's he was a highly recruited prospect. He's got a great dad, obviously. Um, he looked great. Uh, you know, his dad was a super athlete. Um, but USC made him look really good, too. So one of those things where you kind of feel good getting a road win, you're 5-0, and but a lot of, you know, kind of a bad taste in your mouth, giving up that many points. Four of the last five Colorado drives ended in touchdowns. That's not what you want to see, but Connor, I kind of wanted to go with you to get some of your thoughts on what, you know, from everything we heard this week uh, from Lincoln Riley, from the defensive players and from uh, Alex Grinch, uh, you know, what, what, what was your assessment of where they, you know, their criticisms or where their assessment of the, the defense overall? Lincoln Riley was really upset that in the first half, he thought they did a nice job of keeping Shudder Sanders in the pocket. And then in the second half, they got away from that. So that's been a big emphasis. Tackling, of course, has been a big emphasis too. And then Alex Grinch said, scoreboard watching, you're doing that at all levels. It's really important to know the time and the score in football. Obviously he said that happens on Sundays, but we can't let what the score says affect how we play a tackle. We made in the first quarter. We have to make that same tackle in the fourth quarter. And he called the scoreboard watching and having that affect you a maturity issue. And he said, there's not a coaching point or anything. I can tell the players. They just have to learn to, Play the same way, whether you're up 7 nothing or whether you're up 41-14 or whether you're up 48-41. So that was a big emphasis for Grinch, too. And I asked him point blank yesterday, what went wrong in the final quarter and a half? I wrote about it on uscfootball.com. You can see his full answer there. And that was one of the big things he responded with, just the scoreboard watching. It happens at all levels, and we have to be more mature if we're up big to not allow a big comeback like they did against Colorado. Yeah. Um, I, I got to talk to uh, Jamil Muhammad and his, he said the word focus like over and over and over again. And uh, you know, I, I tried to ask about the altitude and it didn't seem, you know, they, they came in, you know, basically 24 hours before kickoff or whatever, or something around that. And, you know, not a lot of time to get acclimated. I think Muhammad talked about, Oh, we were hydrating and stuff. I mean, it still doesn't get you ready for, 
altitude. I mean, you just need some extra time there. So maybe if they went back, they would go, you know, on a Thursday instead of a, a Friday. But that didn't seem like no one used that as an excuse that I saw, um, you know, anything like that. But he was talking about focus and like you know, almost whatever question you ask, like the missed tackles or uh, giving up explosive plays late or whatever we we kind of chatted about. It came back to like focus and uh, and Alex Grinch had he said it, he he talked about sharing too much you know using his like you need to add an S so if it's like make a, don't make a play you got to make plays so it's just like oh you get that sack but you got to make another one um, so it's sort of like the you get this big lead and then you got to stay focused on it I guess and still continue to do your job that's kind of seemed like one of the themes I guess from talking to the players and coaches yesterday yeah focus effort mason cobb said i could have gone harder on some plays in the second half even though he had his best game as a trojan so yeah and like i wrote about with the bryson shaw thing after how he defended alex grinch and said it's all on the players they said all the right things and they continue to say all the right things now it's time to do it and grinch acknowledged that at the end of his spiel yesterday after my question he said it's one thing to say it it's another thing to go do it and he took accountability for it so they're saying the right things and it happened last year. It happened a little bit against Arizona State. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it. And I think this Arizona game is big because it's really that last game before you hit this really big home stretch that we've talked about. Can they work out some of the kinks? Can they put in a good defensive performance to get themselves set up for this stretch run? If they don't, you kind of got to wonder what the Notre Dame game is going to look like if, if the Arizona defensive performance isn't good enough. So I think this is a big game this week. I agree with you there. And I'm sorry, while you're talking, I'm trying to fix the uh, the comments. Um, we're getting your comments. There's For some reason, they're not going up on the screen. So I won't be able to, to show all of your pretty avatars. And we can still read your comments, though. So uh, my apologies um, for that. Uh, well, we can bring something up, too. So there's a lot of criticism about the defense, obviously, um, you know, kind of blowing the big lead and, you know, needing an onside kick at the very end. To do that, I mean, there's a lot of concern from USC fans, and I think a lot of the questions we're going to get to later will will address a lot of that, so we can kind of get into that more. But there, you know, it it's hard to be critical of an offensive unit when you score 48 points. But this is one of the Blackie Chan brings up. Um, he says people are quick to blame the defense, but I also don't think that the offense did anything to help the defense in the fourth quarter. Uh, and he was talking about by not running the ball. He said, I think Lincoln could have called the run game better. The play calling was pretty predictable. Um, yeah, I think there's some things they could have done on the offensive side, let the play clock run down a little bit more. Uh, it could have just like, you know, ran up, you know, go to the line of scrimmage and just start smash mouthing it a bit. But that's, I think, I, I think if you had confidence that your defense was going to get stops, you don't necessarily need to do that. But it was sort of like everything was collapsing. Like the, you weren't doing what you needed to do on the offensive side of the ball. And you certainly weren't doing what you needed to do on the defensive side of the ball. And if either side was doing part of their job, you would have been fine. Um, and, you know, Colorado helped out by not doing what they needed to do. They were running clock. Like, they were running clock more than USC was, which was kind of weird to the point that the Colorado fans booed at, at one, <laughs> you know, one of the run plays. But, yeah, what, your assessment of, like, could, yeah, could the offense have helped out a little bit more? Definitely. And shout out to Blackie Chan. It was great meeting you in Boulder. Got to yes. see him going from the press box to the post-game media stuff. So thank you for all your engagement on here. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I, I don't think I was as critical as maybe I should have been on Sunday talking about the offense. 
if my math is correct, it might not be, but I'm pretty sure I did it earlier, 22 rushing yards in the second half. So obviously that's not good enough when you're up that many points. you, you got to milk the clock. I think, too, Lincoln Riley talked about it. He was really disappointed with the run game, and after doing my pro football focus grades today, the offensive line really did not play very well. They were solid in pass protection. Caleb Williams got hammered on that one sack. That was Austin Jones missing a block, and then the sack at the end of the game, that wasn't great from the offensive line. But by and large, they did really well in pass protection. The run blocking, though, was not good enough, and that certainly contributed to it. And Riley said on Trojans Live... Sometimes if the blocking was good, the running back didn't hit the right hole. Or if the blocking was bad, the running back wasn't in the right spot. I think that was a wake-up call for, for USC. We, we've heard so much, the offense is so good, they can't do anything wrong, That they're, they're amazing. I, I think the fact that they couldn't run the ball in the second half against Colorado, that really made Riley think. And I, I think we're going to see some changes in the future. I expect the running game to be better. They definitely have all the bodies and, and the, the guys needed to, to run better. The coaching staff is really good. I don't think we'll see something similar in the future. I expect them to get that fixed. Yeah, I expect them to get it fixed too. And, uh, you know, they, they ran the ball so well against Arizona State and then just kind of wasn't doing it. But I kind of get why you weren't doing it against Colorado because it wasn't as effective. There was some good runs, but there was some kind of stuff that got, you know, runs that just got stuffed. But like knowing what you know and what the how the game was going, I think they could have been more dedicated to it. Um, I, I think Joel Clapp pointed out on the uh, when on my rewatch, um, it was painful to like kind of rewatch it and then go, how did this team blow? It was like 17 minutes left and you got you know this huge lead. And you're like, I know what happens. Like how does this even how how does they how do they blow this? Um, but you know knowing what you knew if you would have run a little bit more clock and just kind of like milk things and not only, you know, get towards the end of the game quicker, but, you know, give your defense a bit of a rest. Um, I, yeah. Like, I don't know if fatigue was really a factor. I, I don't know if you talked to anyone about that. I, I think I asked Muhammad and maybe one other guy about it. It didn't seem like it was that, that big of a deal. Um, but they changed, you know, the, they had more, a little bit more rotation um, in some spots and other spots they didn't, you know, the linebackers were kind of just going in there and doing their thing. Uh, I thought it was interesting with Eric Gentry because when uh, Shotgun pointed out in his um, drive chart, I think Gentry only played nine defensive snaps and they were very effective when he was in there and not so much when he wasn't. And not, not saying that's a direct correlation, but it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, he it looked like he, you know, at least if you look at game reps, he should have got more time. And I, Lincoln Riley, his answer was yes. I mean, I'll let you talk about what he said yesterday, but it was kind of interesting to hear what he said about Gentry because he still played a bunch, but I'm not sure why he couldn't have played more linebacker, even from what Riley said. Another question I asked Riley said it was competition. It wasn't health, even though Gentry missed so much time. Riley went on to kind of make a health excuse, but he said he's fully healthy and in his full go and he expects him to play a role in the future. So I thought that was interesting too. Because coming into the year, if you said Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry were a full go, I think most people would say, okay, those are your two linebackers. And it looks like the staff is really convinced that they want to play Tackett Curtis and they're that they're just setting their way. That's what's going to happen. Tackett Curtis will be there with Mason Cobb as the starter, and then maybe Gentry will play behind them. Against Arizona State, he was a third linebacker, and Rajon Davis didn't get in. Against Colorado, Eric Gentry was the fourth linebacker, and Rajon Davis jumped him a little bit, which I know a lot of people on the Peristyle and people who listen to this podcast were happy to see. I think, though, overall, most people are thinking, okay, that's great that Davis is playing more, but we thought Gentry was going to be the number two linebacker. And the fact that he's the number four linebacker, that's kind of interesting. So I, I think he deserves to play more. We saw him do really well. Shotgun wrote this week that when he's been in games, he's been USC's best linebacker. 
I don't know what to, to make of it, Ryan, to be honest, because I think coming into the year, most people, like I said earlier, it was Gentry and Cobb were going to be the guys, and then whoever was behind them was behind them. It looks like Gentry's still fighting for a spot, which is a surprise. Yeah, then Cobb has, like, you know, a not good game against Arizona State. You know, it, he was out for a few weeks and comes back, was a little rusty. And sometimes when people say that, oh, you're a little rusty, you're not necessarily going to believe him. But when he goes out and has 13 tackles officially, and I think PFF graded him, like had him way more than that. I mean, he was around. The, if you just watch the, if you watch the game, he was a dude that was around the ball. He was, you know, he missed a couple tackles, but he was everywhere. He was making plays. He made things harder on the opposition. And I think that's okay. That's what you want. Um, we've just seen the the linebackers be a black hole sometimes that they don't, they're not making plays. He seemed like he was. So you're like, okay, if he can play like that, he's he's your dude. You want him to be in there. But like you said, you think Eric Gentry was one of those guys. And I know there was a lot of calls for Rajon Davis. Um, you know, just from my, me watching, it seemed like he had, you know, didn't have a perfect game, made some mistakes, and uh, like a lot of guys do. But if, you know, if you're saying, oh, he's going to fix all the problems, like I don't, that wasn't the case uh, when we saw against Colorado. And, you know, we didn't have seen a Shane Lee, but I felt like Eric Gentry is the guy that could have been there a lot more. And so we just don't understand the rotation. And uh, we ask the questions and try to find out what's going on. And it's it's not super clear. Um, and it's for whatever reason, especially the linebacker spot, where there's been clear deficiencies. You know, it's not it's, it's hard to get like two inside linebackers that both play well at the same time. You know, um, you know the week Tacka Curtis got. A couple of sacks two weeks ago, you know, against Arizona State, there was a bunch of other misplays too. It just seems like we haven't got a consistent play from from two guys at once. And then, and sometimes when you do, when you see two guys that are doing well, okay, they're they're obviously doing well. The defense is doing better. Then they don't see those guys again for the rest of the game. It's kind of weird. Injuries have played a part for sure because Cobb missed some time and Gentry missed a game too. But it's almost like. I don't want to say embarrassing, that's too far, but the schedule, the first six games, everyone knew they were going to be really easy, and now we're going into game six, and we still don't know the linebacker rotations. Like, this was the time to settle those in and get that going. So yeah. I think that's really surprising. And Tackett Curtis, he has made some really great plays, but he committed that costly face mask penalty that gave Colorado a first and goal from the three, I think, and they would have had third and goal from the five. If he hadn't have done that, it seemed like a play he didn't need to make. He's made some freshman mistakes, the staff is really encouraged by what he does, and everyone says that he practices really well and he deserves to play based on what he doesn't practice. That's the name of the game. That's what the staff goes by. So he is an incredible practice player. Good for him. I just wonder, going back in time, if the USC staff maybe would have opted to change things a little bit and gave Rajon Davis more of a role. I know he broke his hand early in camp, and then that kind of put him behind the eight ball. He, he was doing really well, and then that broken hand set him back. Maybe when he came back, if he goes back to where he was, I heard that he was with Cobb for a lot of those earlier practices as the first-team linebacker. So I don't really know. It seems like once that happened, things kind of changed with the USC linebackers, and maybe that has something to do with why we don't have the rotations right now. But like I said, injuries have certainly played a role. I just think by game six, it's very surprising we don't know exactly what the rotation looks like because I guess except for cornerback, everywhere else we do know where or what's going on. Yeah. I was just thinking about this and I'm going to look this up right now as we're talking, but um, here's one of the issues. You mentioned the face mask penalty and we talked about this in the press box a little bit. One of these things that doesn't seem like USC is doing a very good job. And I want to pull up the numbers for you to make sure that I'm, I'm getting this right. And it's looking pretty good for me so far. Cause I think I'm on page three. What we time we, oh, maybe that's not, 
Uh, okay, I probably missed it or whatever. Uh, <laughs> red zone defense. Um, one of the things that happens is, like, I like the way they were sort of playing, like, the bend but don't break thing early on, keeping things in front of you. Like, that made a lot of sense to me. Like, okay, they're doing well with that. Um, and then once Colorado started driving, there was no stop. It just seemed like there was no stopping no stopping them. And their one opportunity after that 65-yard catch uh, where it was USC jumps off sides, USC commits P.I., Marion Miller still makes the catch, 65 yards, and you're down there. It ends up being first and goal at the 10, which if you're a defense, like that's a pretty good spot to be in because you have the most, you know, they have the most yards you need to gain. There's no way to get a first down. You have to score a touchdown. Uh, it's kind of like your backs against the wall sort of thing. And I feel like that's a good spot for a defense to to get a hold and force a field goal attempt. And it just seems like once a you know the opposition gets kind of rolling and they get to the red zone, it's like you can roll right in. And that's what happened. It looked like USC could have got off the field. It was going to be third and five, uh, third and goal from the five. And the ball, the play's going out of bounds. There was no need to extra hit or you know, grab on anything else for this tackle. Like the play was moving out of bounds. You had a couple defenders there and Tiger Curtis, you know, grabs a face mask and you get a first and goal from the two or a half or whatever. And that, then now you're dead, you know, like that's a whole different story than first and goal from the, from the 10. And you just have to be able to get off the field. The one, there was a fourth down from inside the 10 and Shador Sanders finds Miller in the you know end zone. It makes a great catch. And there was good coverage. Like something like that happens fine. But when you give them a gift, you could have got off the field. You could have forced a field goal attempt. Instead, you go up the touchdown because of like a needless face mask penalty. It just seems like that's something this, you're, you're giving up those chunk plays, but you got to make a stand when, you know, your back's against the wall. And it seems like once that happens, you know, going back to last year, it's just no stopping whoever USC's playing. That's a problem. And then the other problem is you talked about the chunk plays on three of Colorado's touchdowns. They didn't even get into the red zone because the plays were over 20 yards. So <laughs> I, I think that's to me, and we talked about it on Tunnel Vision, that's that's where I start. The, the only way to be upset by a Colorado is if you give up touchdowns quickly and explosive plays are the quickest way to do that. So I agree, Ryan. I would have liked to have seen USC tighten things up in that goal to go situation. That wasn't great. They've also been killed by these explosive plays and that's a problem, too. Yeah. So I did find it. USC is on page three, which is bad. They're 109th in red zone defense uh, in the country. So five the schedule games. hasn't exactly been that hard. No, that's bad. Um, so 12 trips to the red zone, uh, 11 scores. So only three field goals out of 12. But, um, you know, scoring at 90, you know, 91, almost 92 percent. But uh you know, eight touchdowns in 12 red zone trips and three field goals. So against a not very tough schedule, that's a, you know, that's an issue. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it just felt like they were giving up a lot of touchdowns when I got to the red zone. And at the Cotter's point, it's not just, I mean, they were scoring from outside the red zone quite a bit too. Um, yeah, I think, I think Colorado only had three red zone trips and they were all touchdowns, but the other touchdowns were from outside the red zone. So that yeah, that's not that's not good. And I, I'm glad the stats. Are, I'm, I'm not glad that USC's red zone defense stinks, but in my mind, it was bad. And so I wanted to like, okay, I want to look up what the numbers were, and they're bad. I don't mean to pile on here, but something that I thought was really interesting. So after the game, Lincoln Riley said, at the end of the year, all people will remember was that this game was a dub. He used the word dub to describe yeah. the win. And 
we said an instant analysis, Ryan. I think if they go on to lose a couple of games, we'll remember that game as the turning point where we learned, okay, the defense, for as good of the few moments that they had earlier in the year, that was the game we learned, okay, maybe they're not as good as we thought. And I follow a guy on Twitter named Tyler Shoemaker. He's a betting analyst. He does a really, really good job. I've made money listening to him. The athletic guys, they listen to him too. He has He's a math guy too, so he has his own formula. And he gives out win probabilities. And based on what USC has done so far this season – it's not good looking ahead. He only gives them, and his his formula is good. This isn't some some guy who just off the street. This is a really good guy. Notre Dame, twenty four percent chance to win that game. Wow. Look at Washington at home, twenty seven percent chance. Oregon on the road, twelve percent chance. These numbers can change if USC makes some changes and gets better in the future. But based on what they've done so far, those are the odds that they have to win those games based on this guy's formula, Tyler Shoemaker, who I swear by, he does a really good job. Yeah, I think. That's that's the big issue, too. They haven't passed the eye test, and, and there are some numbers there to back that up. Yeah, and I, I think if you watch part of the game, they've passed the eye test. Um, if you, you know, it's, it's one of those things where USC was covering the spread in the second quarter in this one and then just sort of like went into cruise control and it, it all, went to, uh, all went to hell, right? Uh, we saw kind of what happened out there. If you're the USC fan, there's like, oh, this team's going to lose all the rest of their games. Like, I don't buy that. I don't buy the, like... Washington, you know, 24% to beat Washington at home. USC's played Washington at home. We saw Washington play Arizona on the road. It did not score like crazy. Their defense isn't very good. I don't think they're going to stop USC. I think USC, to me, would be a favorite over Washington at home. I mean, that's going to be the case. I think over Utah, who cannot score, USC's going to score. Now, maybe if Cam Rising gets back, they're going to be a favorite. But you got to worry about, I think the road games right now are where the the big issue is going to be. I mean, I I would put money right now on USC over Washington, over Utah, over Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, I think that's closer than than Oregon. Um, so that's that, that's the one I thought USC would lose in the beginning of the year, and it's not looking great the way USC's played on the road. But you have to get you know, this team is going to have a puncher's chance just because of Caleb Williams. Like, there's going to be some games where they the defense is not getting a stop. But you're not stepping Caleb Williams either, and like just one play goes your way, and boom, it's uh, you're going to get a, a win that maybe you feel like you don't deserve because you gave up a crap ton of points to Oregon or Notre Dame. Um, but your guy, your guy's better than them, and he can, he can score too. So, I yeah, I don't know about those numbers. Those seem really low, twelve percent. They they, they they do seem really low, and I agree. It's important to put context on them. I also think. They're low for a reason, and it's because in the last couple of games you've been these massive favorites, and you haven't been able to to answer the call. And you, like, I mean, the eye test and the numbers are two different things, but it, it hasn't looked as good as it should have looked. So they have it all in front of them, like we keep saying. They certainly could have an amazing year, and I think they definitely have a chance to do that. But right now, based on what they've done so far, the analytics aren't very friendly to USC. And I, I think that's, that has to be somewhat of a concern. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, we have a lot of questions, so we'll get to more of the stuff talking about the team. Uh, Arizona's this weekend. Uh, USC comes home. Uh, you got Jed Fish, who's, uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. He's trying to get this team bowl eligible. This looks like the year they could potentially do it. Um, you know, Jaden Delora at quarterback, he did not play last week. Uh, no, Noah Fafita did. We are not sure what the situation is going to be with him, if he's going to be able to play. Last year, he really hurt USC with his legs. Um, you know who else hurt USC a lot? Dorian Singer, three touchdowns. Luckily for USC, he's on the the you know the other sideline now. So, um, you know, that's going to be helpful. But they gave Washington 
all, you know, all they could handle. Uh, it was a seven point game, very similar to what, you know, Colorado was close. Uh, Arizona had like kind of a late comeback, but they, you know, this is the first time Washington didn't score uh, more than 40 points in a game um, against Arizona. So it's going to be different. You know, Arizona's going to be on the road, but I thought their defense, even though they lost you know, a couple guys to USC and they, they added guys from the portal. I think they, they tried to make some defensive improvements. Uh, Johnny Nansen, you might've heard of him. He's the uh, defensive coordinator there. Brennan Carroll, Pete Carroll's kid, the offensive coordinator. I mean, there's a lot of connections. A lot of the Arizona players played with USC players in high school and vice versa. You know, three Arizona players are on USC's roster. Um, you know, USC's had guys go to Arizona like Hunter Eccles. Former commits have gone there. There's a lot of connections between uh, Tucson and Los Angeles uh, for this game. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm giving Johnny Nansen credit. I didn't think he was all that great of a defensive coordinator, but uh, he's... I think he's done a really nice job so far this year. Now, is it going to be able to stop Caleb Williams? No, nobody can. But, um, you know, maybe they can slow him down a little bit. And this is a, an offense that can be very dangerous. Um, you know, they've got – they had three great wide receivers uh, last year. You know, two are left. But Jacob Cowling, he's almost has 4,000 receiving yards. He's like 70 away. So he's probably going to get 4,000 in this game. T-Mac, you know, local Southern California legend there. Um, you know, he's a stud. There's, there's some dudes here, but I, I, you know, what are your assessments of, uh, this Arizona squad, uh, coming into the game this weekend? They definitely played Washington closer than I expected, but the score totally flatters Arizona. Washington was marching down the field, had a chance to ice the game, fumbled at the three yard line, and then Arizona got it, scored another touchdown. And then Washington got the ball back and ran out the clock. So that was only with like seconds remaining. So 31-24, it was not that close of a game, even though it was a one-score game at the end. I agree with you, though, Ryan. Arizona's defense definitely impressed me against Washington. They, they played better. The thing about Arizona, they got off to awful starts, no matter who the quarterback is. Last week, Noah Fafita didn't do that well to begin the game and then settled down and played much better at the end. Jane Delore against Mississippi State was terrible early in the game and then got a lot better. So USC, they will have a chance to just jump on Arizona right away if history repeats itself. And that's what I'm looking to see from USC, a hot start, because Arizona has not started games very well, even though they have all that talent on offense. First quarters have not been pretty for the Wildcats. So I think a hot start is important for USC. And then one thing that was really interesting too, sometimes because they were so afraid of Washington, Johnny Nansen's defense, they'd throw out seven defensive backs and just say, we're keeping everything in front of us. And the only way you can beat us is with short little paper cuts, death by a thousand paper cuts. I think that's a better word or a better term. And USC, I think they have a more explosive offense. So maybe they'll be able to break through that big defensive back alignment. I just imagine it'll be a lot of short passes for USC, a lot of yards after the catch, and they'll be similar to Washington in the sense that they'll just give what Arizona takes them to begin the game if they're dropped so far off the line of scrimmage. And I would be shocked if USC was upset in this game. I think the defense will play a little bit better. We'll see what happens. But I, I, I just don't think the way Arizona plays is conducive for a upset. Yeah, and this is going to be at home and everything. Um, it's it's just one of those things where, all right, you know, maybe things go a little weird USC started games very well. Uh, they've scored a touchdown on the opening yeah. drive every game. Um, they think it probably goes back to last year too, right? Didn't they? I think they did the Cotton Bowl, if I remember. But um, you know, every at least you know they opened every game with a touchdown. I believe, and I think Jack Smith looked this up that USC is the only FBS team that's not trailed at all this season. I think that's a, a stat. Yeah, we got that comment on Tunnel Vision Sunday. 
Someone called in and said that. So they they were saying in the top 10, USC was the only team to not have trailed. Jack, I, at yesterday at practice, I think he said that at, no one in FBS has not trailed except USC. Um, so if anyone in the chat knows wow. that one, look it up. But that's, that's kind of a crazy one. So they've got the good start. You want to be able to like keep your foot on the gas and keep yeah. focused like everyone was talking about yesterday and keep things going. So I think that's, uh, that's really important. One thing that could help... Um, I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, Lincoln Riley did talk about a couple of injured players, um, Max Williams um, being one of them, and uh, Zachariah Branch uh, the other. It looks like they're on track to come back and play. He was kind of positive. What did, what did you make of what Lincoln Riley said about those two guys? He didn't give any guarantees, but he said trending in the right direction. If I had to guess, I'd say Max Williams is more likely going to play than Zachariah Branch if it's one or the other. Could be both, could be neither. No guarantees were given, but I think Max Williams looks like he's trending in the right direction, and we'll see on Zachariah. Yeah, we'll see kind of where they uh, where they go. Um, yeah, we'll have to. I'll check with Jack on that. If anyone in the chat has heard that about, uh, I believe USC is the only team in the FBS, or at least that's what he said that hasn't trailed this year. Um, that'll be an interesting. If that's the case, I mean, that'll be. They haven't trailed. We know that. Um, it'll be interesting to keep it going because. Like Colorado deferred and USC got the ball and scored. Like, I don't know if I would defer on USC. I think I would try to score. Um, and, you know, with Arizona, we'll see. They have a really good offense. If they get the ball first, like USC could be trailing. But if not, if USC gets the ball or they get a stop early, and this defense was pretty good at getting stops early, uh, you could see that trend kind of continuing. So we'll see. That, that's going to be something to watch uh, if USC ever trails in a game. Obviously, you're going to go to, you know, we're going to Chicago the following weekend for Notre Dame. Much more likely to have you know fall behind or be behind at some point in that time, in that game, but so far uh, not having trailed is uh, and it's kind of you know I don't know how that happens, but it's kind of impressive. Speaks to how good the offense is that they score so fast. I'm looking in this Arizona game just for some of the matchups. I think T Mac will be covered by Christian Roland Wallace. I imagine that'll be the matchup the USC defense goes for. Could be someone else, but that's my prediction. Who covers Jacob Cowing? Will Sierra Wright make more? plays this week um there there may be an injury in the defensive backfield so we'll see uh, exactly what the alignment looks like but i think christian roland wallace will defend t-mac and then we'll see a right come come back for, after not playing many snaps against colorado that'll be something to watch how usc defends the run is really important ryan just looking at the cameron scadaboo numbers this year i hate to bring him back up but i got to do it for a second Against USC, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry. The next week on the road against Cal, Cal, not as good as USC, he only averaged two and a half yards per carry. I was so, I thought, okay, you know, he's, he's going to be good to go. His numbers, they've been really good out of the backfield as a pass catcher, but running the ball has not been very good except uh, for against USC. So I, I just, Arizona, they're going to be down Michael Wiley. I think they're starting running back. They do have some good backups, but you got to stop the run. You got to prove that you can stop the run this week. That's also what I'm looking for. So while I do think USC is going to win and, and win comfortably, there are some really important matchups I'm, I'm looking at and excited to watch how the defensive backs cover some of those receivers and, and how USC overall defends the run. I, I start there. Yeah. Um, Scott, he did have a bunch of catches. He, yeah. he had a big stat line. Like he, he, threw no, a, he, he did, but he did not run well. Yeah, and like, he, he ran all over you. Right. <laughs> not me specifically, but USC. Exactly. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, you know, he would have run all over me, but <laughs> I didn't get run all over me too. I didn't get a chance to stop him. 
Um, I would be like, do you see that security guard of the Ole Miss uh, LSU game when Ole Miss fans were storming the field? It's like this kind of overweight guy who's like trying to like stop people running by. There was not effective at all until he like clotheslined like a sorority girl or something and knocked her down. Oh, but geez. it was pretty funny. But that I think would be me trying to stop Scadaboo. Um, but yeah, he looks good. They, you know, they, Arizona State kept it close against Cal. Um, and uh, yeah, they get Colorado this weekend. So two, the, the last two teams that USC played, two teams that have new head coaches, they'll be playing each other uh, this weekend. So that'll be kind of fun to watch. This kind of stinks. Like um, the Pac-12 schedule, there's only four games because a bunch of teams, like including Oregon and Washington, uh, Utah, they're all on buys. Um, and uh, yeah, so th- there's three games that are on Pac-12 Network and then USC and Arizona at night. Like it's just like if you're a Pac-12 fan and you don't get the Pac-12 Network, you're going to see one game. Like it's just... I, I can't believe they don't have at least one of the other games that aren't on Pac-12 Network. Um, not they're not they're great. There's no ranked on rank uh, matchups, um, but that Arizona State Colorado game, um, sh- I think that's what it is this weekend, right? It's uh, Arizona State Colorado. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know if you don't get Pac-12 Network, uh, you're not gonna be able to watch much except the USC game. So, but there's other stuff you can watch. Texas and Oklahoma and shit. Well, I mean, this speaks to all the problems with the Pac-12. Colorado is the most watched college football team by far. It's a crime that they're on the Pac-12 network. You should change something in your constitution or the bylaws, whatever it is, to make sure that this team is on, I guess Pac-12 network is linear TV, but is on a real channel that a lot of people get because everyone is flocking to watch this team play. And if the league had signed a new uh, deal and, and was was going to be going into the future, this would be good for the Pac-12 network because I'm sure a lot of people would sign up. Now it's just kind of a lost cause. It, right. It's not good that Colorado isn't on a big channel this week because they have they've dominated the the uh, the viewing every week. Yeah, contractually they have to. Yeah, um, exactly. Can, is there any, could they have changed that? I mean, I don't see why you can't. Like, what are you going to, you already owe Comcast like yeah. <laughs> 50, 60 million dollars. You're just like, look, we're not put it putting, on NBC. <laughs> we're going to put it on NBC just to make some more money. I don't think they could have done that. But you know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense that you have this golden goose and you've got to hide them on a bad channel. Yeah. So, like, Colorado came out of the gates and they were on, you know, Big Fox and ESP, you know, whatever. Maybe it was ABC, but they were on all the big channels. USC had two crap games to start with. So they got Pac 12 Network out of the way. But because USC has two. Out of conference home games, that means you have to have at least two Pac-12 network games. And Colorado, believe, has the same two out of conference home games. So they got to be on Pac-12 network twice. Um, they just lost two games, so maybe this is a good time to do it. But everyone's watching that. You know, I think the USC Colorado game got like seven and a half million with a peak of like ten million. Like they're they're putting up big numbers. People are watching like casuals. The filthy casuals are watching Colorado football. They're not going to this week because they're like, how are we going to watch it? And then it's going to point out the deficiencies of the Pac-12 network even more because there are all these people that are like, I want to watch Coach Prime. Like, well, you have to have Pac-12 network. Can I, I have DirecTV. Can I pay for it? No, you can't. Wait, what? Like, I mean, it's going to – people that don't even know the Pac-12 network sucks is going to – they're going to find out this weekend and be pretty upset, I think. I think Fubo TV I saw on Twitter as a free seven-day trial, so maybe a lot of people will do that. Yeah. Uh, all right, well – Let's take a quick break and we will come back and uh, answer. We'll we'll answer a bunch of questions. I'll try to get the ones from the chat too, but we have a lot of emails and voicemails to get to. So uh, back in a minute, everybody.
righty, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. That's the one time. So, like, I do two different shows. Well, we do tunnel vision and stuff too, but the Peristyle Podcast, we do it, you know, multiple times a week, different hosts, all this stuff. And the Podcast of Champions, my Pac-12 one, I do with David David Woods. And usually when it's coming back from the break, it's like, you know, I'll do sort of the same thing. And I, you know, usually I'm not, then I've got to remember which show I'm doing. And so it's like, all right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. Oh crap. No, we're on the, we're on the Peristyle podcast. Um, so that's the one time I usually screw up. I, I, a few times last year, I think when I was editing the show, the podcast of champions, I put the USC, like the Peristyle podcast intro. And it really upset a lot of the PAC 12 fans. Cause they were hearing like the USC intro, but it was for the PAC 12. Um, so that was kind of fun. Maybe it was a little unconscious troll that I did for uh, David and some of those guys. But um, anyway, that's how the sausage is made. Okay. What? Uh, let's go to a voicemail. Um, this is for you, Connor. So let's play this. Hey, Ryan and company. This is Giovanni from Long Beach, 562 area. Just left from watching this game. And it's just a repeat of what we saw last year at this point, right? And I mean, are we going to see any different? I mean, are we just not tired of feeling like wins not feeling like wins? I don't know how it's better to put it, but I uh, appreciate what you all do. Thanks. Fight on. That's been, that was a common theme, Connor, before you got here. Um, the uh, Clay Helton era wins not feeling like wins. You know, when you, you beat an overmatched opponent, and it's closer than it should be, and USC doesn't cover the spread, people just feel like, yeah, like, but you should have beat that team, and you should have beat them worse. And a lot of times the people don't feel, you know, I, I guess unsatisfying is a way to put it, but, um, you know, when you saw Caleb Williams' body language and at the press conference, didn't look like a win, you know? Uh, so I don't know if you feel a fan, you, you've seen fans feel that way where it just doesn't feel like a win, even though, you got the W in the uh, you know uh, in the scoreboard there. Thanks for the call, but yeah, that caller sounded very defeated and very depressed after a win. And I get it. I think Lincoln Riley's comments about the untrained eye versus coaches looking at the defense upset a lot of people too because that kind of called fans not that smart, saying that the issues on the defense for this year are the same as they were last year. Riley said he didn't agree with it, and he said to the untrained eye, there's. It's not the same at all. So maybe that had something to do with it too, that it's just upsetting because maybe Lincoln Riley is saying that he can't see it. I don't know. This week it's set up. There's certainly a chance that there's a win that feels like a loss. So I think can they turn a new page this week and blow out Arizona and and get people excited heading into the stretch run? That that could certainly change the tune a little bit. That's why I look at this week as being important. But to answer the question, when is this going to stop? I don't have a prediction on that. It's hard to say. And uh, the one good thing I would say is there's only basically two more opportunities for you to have a call like that. Um, Arizona and Cal. If you if it's really close against Arizona and like J- Jacob Cowling has like three touchdowns and 250 yards receiving and Noah Fafita throws for like 300 yards and runs for 100 and USC wins by a point, that's not going to feel like a win. I get it. That, that could happen. Cal is pretty bad, uh, you know, but they they put up like 500 yards of offense against Washington in a loss. Um, that one could be close, and you don't doesn't feel like a win. But outside of that, 
Utah's beat you last three times. Like even if they come in terrible and you beat them by a point, that should feel like a win. You went on the road at Notre Dame and Oregon. I don't care how. If you remember like Lane Kiffin in like 2010, I think it was, um, goes up there, builds a huge lead, and Oregon makes this crazy comeback and almost beats him at the end. Kiffin wore like uh, he wore like winter clothes to make basically to show Oregon recruits like it's terrible here. You don't want to come here. <laughs> like literally, that was what he was doing. They held on to win that game, and it was ugly at the end, but that was a win. Like you don't feel bad about that. Uh, if you get you beat Washington at home, I don't care how. You, that's going to feel like a win. Whenever you beat UCLA, who cares? It's going to be a win. So you only have a couple opportunities left. That's a good thing. There's enough great games left that. Those are one-point victories should feel like a million bucks. So maybe that's something to look forward to. I agree. And as long as you don't get curb stomped in one of those tougher games, people won't be defeated. I, 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 and I don't anticipate that. This team's too good to, to get blown out. I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. But it's just it's, there shouldn't be that many unsatisfying wins left because most of the games left would be very satisfying if you get the win. Uh, El Gato from California. Uh, not specifically any place in California, just California. I'm like, all right, he's going to keep it, keep it uh, generic. Hey, Ryan, love the show and appreciate all you do for USC athletics. I recently went back and looked at Washington State games when Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator, and I noticed that by 2017, Wazoo's defense was pretty solid and did not exhibit glaring tackling issues. They knocked off USC, Stanford, Oregon, and Utah that year. And the most any of those teams scored on the Cougs was 27 points by Sam Darnold, by a Sam Darnold-led USC. I'm not sure what happened at Oklahoma, but in his two lengthy stints as defensive coordinator, the main difference seems to be the pandemic that happened in his senior year uh, at OU. Uh, that is around the time where West Coast football took a dip and is only now recovering. So I believe that the COVID year did have an impact on player development in general. What are your thoughts on his time at Wazoo? when he had three regular years to run that defense, keep up the good work and fight on from El Gato. I think it's hard to be a defensive coordinator for a Lake and Riley coach team just because the offense scores quickly. Was Mike Leach the head coach there, though? Because they run very similar styles. So, yeah. So maybe that point is moot. I don't know. I, I, I don't really know exactly how to explain it. I, I do think Grinch, he doesn't have a great track record, but it's not like he doesn't deserve to be the defensive coordinator. He's paid his dues and his track record is fine. He was even at Ohio State for a year. I think traditionally, just looking at Lincoln Riley coach teams in their losses, they put up over 40 points. They're, they allow over 40 points. It, it can be tough sometimes to play defense when you have a juggernaut offense because they score really quick and that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's not easy, but there's... I think there's some there's some things you could say, okay, if you had a different offense, then that would work. But this is an offense that's giving you big leads, and then it sort of should make your job easier. Like basically, and you you pointed this out really well during tunnel vision, like don't give up the big touchdowns. Don't give up the big plays. You know, and I thought the beginning of this the game, they were keeping everything in front of them. Shador Sanders was like minuscule yards per attempt. It was what you want to do. And if you, you know, they would get three or four yards on first down, three or four yards on second down, and then three or four yards on third down, and you move the sticks. But it was like, you got to do that over and over and over again. The one time you don't get positive yards on first down, you're in a different situation, and the pass rusher is getting there, and you get off the field. Then you start giving up these big plays, and it seemed unnecessarily not 
over-aggressive by blitzing, from what I saw. It was over-aggression from not keeping any guys back and just kind of protecting yourself. If one guy misses a tackle, it shouldn't be a huge gain. But that's basically what was happening. So I think you're that's it's true that it's not easy, but I feel like you have to complement what's going on and you can't when you're limiting, like I don't care if they run for five yards up the middle, but don't give up a 65 yarder. And that's what you're giving up. Like you have to stop some you have to stop those big plays and kind of keep things in front of you. And they're just not doing that. So it's it's hard, but it's not complimentary enough from what I'd like to see. Yeah, it might be somewhat of a personnel problem too. Like on my rewatch, Bryson Shaw was in a lot of good positions, but just didn't make the play. On the first touchdown, he's in single coverage against a receiver and the receiver just burned him. I mean, that's not great, but it's not like it was a coverage bust or a missed tackle or anything. It was just poor execution. So, and I guess that would be what a missed tackle is too. I think personnel definitely plays a role a little bit too on this year's team. Yeah, but the personnel is a lot better. They're really good at stuff like creating pressure. You got to be able to use that. You got to use what's the positive, you know? Like if if you're recruiting to a school and you know, you're in the you know, a college town and someone and you the recruit that you're trying to talk to is a big city kid, like you're trying to sell them on the uh you know what anything that's positive about being in a small town versus a big city of what you know why this is going to be better you're trying to accentuate the positives and it just didn't seem like the defense has been doing that they're not you know you got to take what you do well and then sort of like feed off of it and prevent what the only thing you can't let happen and they just haven't been doing that uh let's see we got this question from Ryan. He says, not Abraham. Uh, so it's not me. That's good. I didn't write my own show. Uh, after watching Bryson Shaw's postgame presser, and to a lesser extent, some of Alex Grinch's interviews, I came away with a genuine feeling of confusion as to why the defense can't seem to perform at a requisite level. My heart went out for the kid, especially when he stated that players are, quote, letting him down. He states, so he's talking about Shaw. He states that they are put into a position to make plays. They simply are not making them. It also goes on to say that the practice seems great. He's not sure what needs to be done other than, quote, executing better. This got me thinking back to my grad school days of strength and conditioning and some of the sports psychology nerds I hung out with. And he says, I say nerd with the utmost admiration and respect and a, a class I was required to take. Uh, one of the many things a good sports psychologist can do is address things of this nature when athletes have everything they need to succeed but can't seem to put it all together. The profession even goes by, quote, performance uh, enhancement oftentimes. My question uh, for anyone, uh, would you be able to speak on the team's sports psych, uh, sports psych practices? Do they have one, multiple? If so, are they dedicated to football or are they more of an entire athletic department thing? Really curious to hear any insight you guys may have on this. Appreciate the appreciate you guys and keep up the great work, uh, Ryan. And I know I think the Helium Boys talked about this a little bit. And they weren't sure. And I'm not really sure either if there's a full-time guy uh, person on staff. Um, Shotgun mentioned like there's baseball had hired someone for one point. I don't, do you know anything about this, Connor? I don't, but I do feel bad for a guy like Alex Grinch, who has just been a punching bag this year, the last couple of weeks to end last year. Like I hope, you know, he is working with someone. Cause just, I, I you know, we, we do these shows and if you get a hateful comment, you brush it off. I just can't imagine what it would be like getting that all the time. And, you know, it's our job to hold them accountable. And we do. I just sometimes like 
you know, after the Colorado game, where I'm talking right, I'm like, oh, I kind of, you know, I'm excited to hear what he has to say Tuesday, but it's going to be another bloodbath. I, I, I do feel bad for the guy. He, uh, I mean, to his credit, he answers everything that gets thrown at him and stuff. And uh, I think he's pretty forthcoming. It's not a lot of coach speak. He did sneak in another sports analogy. Um, Making the basket. Yesterday, yeah. So there was only one, like only one sport, only one analogy. So there wasn't uh, some of the other ones that um, he had used kind of in the past. I don't feel as bad for the coaches. Um, like I, <laughs> They I, do make a lot of money. They yeah. make a ton of money. <laughs> I mean, I like Clay Helton today. You know, I could call him today and say hello. Like he's a, just a nice person. And, and when I would say that in the middle of his tenure, USC fans would get mad at me. He has to be evil. I'm like, no, he wasn't evil. He just wasn't a very good coach. And he's actually doing a nice job at uh, Georgia Southern right now. But that's, I think, more where he should have been. He should have never. He kind of got Peter principled up to USC's head coach, which was over his head. Shouldn't have been there. He should have been a place like Georgia Southern. But you know, learning what he did at USC, I think he's going to apply that there. But I think he's a, a nice guy. I like Alex Grinch personally. Like, he's a nice person. Um, but I get I mean, you know, Clayton was making like $5 million a year. He doesn't need my sympathy or anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's uh, like, you're getting paid a lot of money. Um, you know, Alex Grinch is over a million dollars a year for sure. So there's gonna it's going to come with bumps in the road, you know. I think the sports psych stuff was mostly for players and student athletes and stuff. But I guess coaches would probably need it No, you're, you're right, but I, I hope he – would talk to that person too, but just it's funny you went right there. Well, it's like Alex Grinch, I'm thinking players, yeah, and you're like no, Alex Grinch. Well, just because he he's the guy who gets the run of it. I mean, you can't go a day without looking at anything we do. And like Dorian Singer, we're, we're interviewing you Saturday. What are the questions that people have? And it's like, can you play defense? Can you fire great? Like you know, people just rip on the guy. Yeah. So that's where my head went to. But just to to wrap up that email, I wish I had more of an answer. I, I don't really know much about that subject, so not the right person for that. Yeah. Um, it's funny when people send us questions, I had someone send me a question, like question for Lincoln Riley, question for Alex Grinch. And they're, I'm like, I'm not either one of those guys. You're not like, <laughs> why are you asking me those things? They're like, Oh, I thought you could ask. It's like, I'm not going to ask Alex Grinch why he sucks so bad. Like, you know, like that's people want to, I'm like, we're not asking questions like that. Okay. Uh, let's go to another voicemail. Hey, Ryan Thomas from Malibu. First of all, we're lucky as can be to get out of Boulder with a win, but much rather leave with a win than a loss. Hey, big Lincoln Riley supporter here, 16-3 and three after a year and a half, thrilled at what he's done with our program. But yesterday's post-game press conference, I had a really hard time, woke up this morning thinking the same thing. Is he starting to suffer from the smartest man in the room syndrome? And it's bad in business. I assume it's bad in coaching also when he made the comment, to untrained eyes, our defense is better this year. You know, listen, I am not a football expert, but I was at the game yesterday at Folsom Field, and that was no different than last year at the Cotton Bowl. I love Lincoln Riley. Love him. But to say to the untrained eye it's better, uh, I, I have to chuckle about that and shake my head. I hope Lincoln thinks back on that a little bit and kind of slows it a little bit. And uh, we got to do something. Obviously, we're not getting rid of the defensive coordinator midseason. That's not going to happen. But, you know, Got to stop denying the undeni- unden- you know, indefensible. You know what I'm saying? When when when, when Colorado is blowing through you like that, it's it's not good for the rest of the year. I'm keeping a faith. We still got a long ways to go, but Lincoln, you got to get real. This defense is just as bad as it was last year. Anyway, guys, keep up the good work. Love the show, Thomas from Malibu. And Thomas is a definitely a positive caller. He called after the Arizona State game, I believe, and was like. 
hey guys, we won, like back off, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that was a, it was, that was a little different. I, I think that definitely rubbed some people the wrong way. And he's, you know, maybe he got, Lincoln got a little defensive about uh, all the questions about the defensive coordinator. It definitely rubbed people the wrong way. I, I've been getting all kinds of comments about the untrained versus the trained eye this week. Yeah, the question that prompted that was obvious. Like, the defense is struggling. It was struggling last year. It looks like there are some similarities. What do you attribute it to? And he said he got mad. He got defensive, and he said it's not the same. So I think I think it was a moment of frustration overall. And if he could walk it back, would he? I'm not sure or not. I don't think it's totally bitten them in the behind yet because they haven't lost. If they go out and lose this week, it certainly will. Or if they get killed by a Notre Dame or, or lose more games than they should, that could be a quote that kind of lives for a while, has a long shelf life because he won't look very good after it. So I, I don't know. I, I understand why it got a lot of fans upset, and I don't really know why he said it either. But he's – you know, he's good at kind of, I don't want to say BSing, but you know what I mean? He's good at kind of saying the right thing all the time. And I, I wonder if he didn't mean to say that in that moment. Yeah, it's one of those things where you could say, well, like last year, the our opponent scored like every time they had the ball late in the game. There was four out of the last five drives became touchdowns. But here's what we feel. this is It's a very different situation. Um, you know, this was a crazy road game with celebrities everywhere. We built this huge lead, kind of went to sleep, altitude, whatever you want to say, there's a lot of different things. We're generating a lot more pressure than last year. We're, I mean, there's things that they're doing better. It's a better, but I feel they almost feel baffled that they are still giving up points because you know, we talked about this before. There's like these metrics like, oh, we want to do this. We want to make sure you're doing this and blah, 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 boom. And they've checked off a bunch of boxes, but you're still giving up too many points. And so it's sort of like, here's our goals. Like we, we set these goals but the over, but it's not. We're not achieving the overall goal. Like we've, we're hitting these milestones. Uh, it's like, okay, I want to keep up with. I'm going to make sure I do every quiz and all my homework assignments and stuff on time. Why am I still getting a failing grade? Like I've done everything I wanted to do for this class, but I'm still failing. Um, maybe your plan is wrong. Maybe your, your metrics aren't right. Maybe you're not checking the right. You're not even looking at the right stuff. But I feel like it's true that they're doing some things a lot better. But there's some similar stuff. There's something in the DNA of what you're doing that's allowing this to happen again. Cause it, to me, it looked a lot like what we saw. I mean, it was cotton bowl feels like all over again. Yeah. And if you want to take the high road answering that question, you can say, I think there are a lot of things differently or different this season than last season, but all that matters is how many points we give up. And today we gave up too many points and then that's kind of done and dusted. And instead he gave fans a reason to be upset. He gave a soundbite that could last for a while. I, I just think he was frustrated and that's what he said. Yeah. Um, our buddy, uh, Rodney strong is not happy. He's like, what's going on gang. I hope everybody checked their blood pressure after the Colorado game. My goodness. Our defense is so terrible. The tackling and missed assignments is what I hate the most. And what's frustrating more than anything. It's clear that USC will not make it to the playoffs this season. I don't think that's clear. Uh, Sergeant strong. We just do not have a defense that is consistent enough to hold steady. Do you remember last year how bad the defense was and USC almost made the playoff? So anything can happen. Like, this is still a better defense. Uh, anyway, he says, at what point does Alex Grinch take a hard look at himself in this defense and say, this is not good enough and scrap everything and just stick to the basics? Not only that, 
but make sure they're uh, working tackling on a real heavy day of practice. I am just so pissed that this game was this close. Am I overreacting about USC's defense or do others feel the same way? Thanks for letting me vent about this and fight on Sergeant Strong. Um, No, you're not alone. But I do feel you're overreacting. Yeah, definitely an overreaction. The first half was good outside of that last touchdown drive. Yeah. Giving up 14 points. If they walked away, giving up 28 points, no one would have been complaining. We would have said, oh, solid. I think that's the big thing. They had a good first half. And then the players were in positions to make plays. I, I kind of agree with some of the stuff the guys have said this week. Like, Damani Jackson just slipped on two plays, and then that led up. To, or that led to two big chunk plays. And Bryson Shaw was covering a guy one-on-one, and he just couldn't cover the guy, and that led to a touchdown. Rajon Davis on, on one play was in the wrong spot. Maybe that was a coaching mistake. Overall, though, I, I think the players were in a lot of the right spots, and they just didn't execute. That is a problem in and of itself. We kind of hit on it on Sunday. But I don't think it was like there was no clear, okay, why the heck did you blitz here? It was obvious that if you blitz, this would happen, and they would make you pay. There was no like play call where I thought – Okay, what a big mistake that was. Some people had an issue with that short touchdown run where they had some defensive linemen standing up. Fine, that's one play. But I think the bigger problem was players didn't execute and people just want to pile on the defensive coordinator. There were some reasons to to be hopeful. I, I know that the staff does not deserve the benefit of the doubt, but I, I said what I said. There were some reasons to be hopeful. Guys were in the right spots. They just didn't make the plays. Yeah. I agree with you there. Uh, Will Rush, class of 1986. Uh, Ryan and all, uh, thanks for the great podcast with a question mark. Okay. (laughs) Maybe there's just a typo or he's questioning if they're great. Uh, Does USC suffer from an embarrassment of riches? Offense scores in three plays. Defense is on the field all game. How about more running plays in the second half to burn clock, reduce opponent possessions, keep defense rested, and ask less of it? Keep up the great work from Will. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that same thought, and it just came down to I don't think Lincoln Riley liked what he saw when he did call run plays in the second half. They weren't working, so he went away from it. And like we said earlier, I think they'll correct it. They're too talented to not be able to run the ball late in games. It was a very fair second guess. We all had it. I don't think maybe I second guessed it as much as I should have earlier in the week, definitely after the rewatch and reading more on the game. Fair criticism. 22 second half rushing yards. That's not good enough. Uh, that is not. But I, I would definitely be cautious of anything sort of critical about an offense that scores 48 points on the road. Uh, your quarterback has six touchdown passes. Could you do stuff a little bit different? You always can. But if you score 48 points, that should be enough. Like you, you need to figure out something to do on the defensive side of the ball. It's you're more than carrying your weight. And now you're going to ask the, the offense to do, hey, do what you're doing, just do it a little bit differently. It's I'm just more hesitant to be like, I don't want to screw up what's already there. Coach Harvey Hyde had a fun uh, story that I always like to go back to when Randall Cunningham was at UNLV and he was like the best punter in the country besides being you know, the quarterback. <laughs> and one of his special teams coaches was trying to tell and he could put it like 70 yards. And one of the special teams coaches was trying to tell Randall to do something different. And coach Hyde comes over and says, don't tell him a damn thing. Like he's doing great. Like just let him do it. Like, well, we need, we need our, to help our coverage team with a more directional put. Like, no, the guy's doing amazing. Let him do, we got to adjust to what he's doing. To me, it's like, I would much rather let the offense cook. Like they're great. 
score 48 points, and we'll figure out how to like defend around it. Like if you score 48 points, every touchdown is one second. I don't care. You scored, you know, if you're gonna score seven, eight touchdowns and you you only take a second, like I'm gonna take that and just figure out what something to do on the defensive side. I but, agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's tough. You can do some things, but just I would just be careful. Like, come on, like they're scoring so many points. Like, that's what the offense is supposed to do. Let him do it. Let him cook. He could do it a little different, but it's just I don't I don't know. He's yeah. don't want to tweak with stuff. The the nitpicks aren't as severe for for the offense, of course. Yeah. Just you gotta Lincoln Riley, if you were building a dream coaching staff, he's your first pick as the offensive coordinator. You know, you just kind of got to live and die with some of the the things that happen when he's your head coach. Running, yeah, could it improve for sure? And I think it will. Like, that's the thing, too. Like, he, he knows it'll improve, and, and he has the mechanisms in place to improve it, I believe. So you're right, we can nitpick it here and there, but you're right. Sometimes we, we can talk about the defense because there's been some issues there, but with the offense, just kind of let it go. Uh, Roger says, USC had 16 running back uh, rushing plays the whole Colorado game. Unacceptable. No, it's not. They scored 48 points. That's completely acceptable. Like, I don't care if you never run the ball or you only run the ball. If you can score 48 points somehow and no defensive touch, this was all on the offense. There wasn't any pick sixes. There wasn't any punt returns. I, I'm that's that's the offense's job to score points. Like I don't care how if they go back and run the triple option or a veer or whatever. Like fine, just do it and score 48 points and then figure out what to do afterwards. Like they weren't very effective running the ball. I think you could argue in the Arizona State game you should have ran the ball more. Every time Marshall Lloyd touched it, it was at least 11 yards. We average 11 yards. You know, I'm just, you know, it. if I'm a chef and I've known for this special dish, we want to do the food analogy. And Connor comes in, comes You're into my restaurant. Wrong. And it's like this amazing uh, chicken Parmesan. I'm famous. This is a famous dish. I, this is the way I do it all the time. And he's like, I really want your pick chicken Parmesan, but I'm lactose intolerant. So I can't have cheese. And uh, I'm not really big on breading. I'm trying to go low carb. And I'm like, okay, but you want my chicken parm, which has cheese and breading and all this stuff. And I make you a chicken parm that has vegan cheese and maybe a different kind of uh, coating for the chicken and all that. And it's probably going to be pretty good, but you kind of took away like my, you know, this is my, this is my signature dish. I'm going to let Lincoln Riley do what the hell he wants on the offensive side of the ball because he's the best at it. He's really freaking good. Like the last thing I want to do is say, do something different or do something lesser than what you're doing now. Just go on and do it. He's not perfect. No one's perfect. Caleb Williams is as close to perfect as you get. He threw a pick, whatever. Like the shit happens. Like that's going on. But man, I would be very careful of like screwing up your best thing. Like if you're in fantasy football and you have like th- three great running backs um, and you're like, and well, my my receivers aren't too too good, but I'm gonna like try to screw my lineup a little bit or so. Like, you got your running backs, like kind of run with that. Like you're gonna that's gonna be your bread and butter. If you're messing with it and you're like, oh, I'm gonna put an extra tight end in or something, whatever it is, don't screw up like your good stuff. Your good stuff is the offense. So I don't want you to screw it up. Did I make that clear? I think I've overmade that clear. Yeah. No, hey, uh, <laughs> I I I hear what you're saying, and like I said earlier, we can nitpick, but at the end of the day. There will be a lot more nitpicks on defense. Yeah. And we can definitely be critical of all of it. I mean, there's more to be critical about on the defensive side of the ball. I would just be very hesitant because people upset on the defense, you're going to like 
bitch about the offense, but the offense is ridiculous. It's the best of the country, or if not, if one of them. All right. My rant's over on that, uh, at least till the next time I talk. Let's play a voicemail. Hey, guys. Thanks for the great job you guys do. We all appreciate it. So I wanted to probably, like everybody else, talk about Alex Grinch um, and the, the favoritism he seems to show for players. And if you look at Twitter lately, it's been blown up, obviously. But a lot of the places where he coached before, the fans talked about how even at those places, he played favorites. And so if you look at, you know, the performance of guys like Tackett Curtis and Bryson Shaw, I mean, it's clear, even us with trained eyes, untrained eyes, that they just aren't performing well. And if you look at the PFF grades, Tackett Curtis has had, like, the lowest rating for five consecutive weeks. And I'm just curious, do you think the coaches look at the PFF grading at all or – do they also consider that untrained eyes? And so um, it just seems to me to be so unfair that certain players just seem to be able to have no accountability while players like Eric Gentry, who, by the way, played two series last game and both ended up in puds, but yet Tackett Curtis and Bryson Shaw can miss tackles and be out of position and over-pursue, and there's no, uh, there's no ramification. So curious as to the coaches ever look at the PFF grades and if – the coaches will ever be held accountable for their favoritism. Thanks again. Bye-bye. I think that's a great call. And the Tackett Curtis thing, like we talked about earlier, your guess is as good as mine on that. Maybe it was a recruiting promise. I, I have no inside information as to why he's playing so well, other than what we've been told, which is that he dominates the practice field. He deserves to start. And, and that's why he's starting. You're right though. If you look at the pro football focus grades for him, they are not pretty. The second lowest graded player is Anthony Beavers with a 55. Tackett Curtis is 10 points lower at a 45. He has had sort of a rude awakening to the college game. Has he had some nice moments? Yes. His best game by far was against Arizona State. He's done some things well. It hasn't been a total disaster. But with him, you have other guys in the wings and the in the linebacker room. Lincoln Rally yesterday called it the most talented or way more talented, excuse me, than it was last year, that room. There are other guys there. So as to why Tackett Curtis is playing so much, I'm not totally sure other than the reasons I I just provided and then with Bryson Shaw I just think Max Williams would have played a lot more if he was healthy where's Zion Branch Lincoln Riley said he he isn't quite ready to play that big of a role so I think you just got to trust the evaluation there and that was an injury that contributed to Shaw playing so much so I don't look at that as some big second guess the way I do with the linebackers the Curtis one though that's interesting and I wish I had a better answer yeah I'm not really sure and to be fair, pro football focus is not like always the most accurate. I mean, they count things a little bit differently. Shotgun goes through, counts everybody's snap counts for their actual plays. Um, you know, like if it's a penalty, that doesn't count as a play. So you're not getting a rep. But in pro football focus, they count that. And, you know, there's there's a lot. There's errors for sure. But it's I think it's a good sort of baseline to look at. it will be interesting to see if they do. I think for coaches they're probably going to grade on their own i mean exactly they have, they, i think they do their own grades they're doing their own kind of grade. i mean they know that they know what they're and what's asked of them so you could get a like pro football focus get a missed tackle and you know if you're usc you're like well we had actually asked him he wasn't even supposed to be there he should have been over here you can grade you know more accurately when you know what the play call is and like this was his assignment and he wasn't there sometimes like a guy gets a sack and he was supposed to drop back the coverage or something you're like you did the wrong thing but you made a great play and maybe they don't get as good of a grade as you would like oh he got a sack um but the coaches know he didn't do the right thing or didn't do what was asked of him 
And uh, so, yeah, I think you can, you don't really need something like Pro Football Focus. Maybe you would see stuff like that, but I, I'm assuming when they're grading out their players and they look at what they've asked Tackett Curtis to do, or they asked Bryson Shaw to do, or asked any of the players to do, and then they watch the film and they can grade on, they you know, grade that stuff on their own. So, um, but they're either coming to a conclusion that, hey, Tackett Curtis is doing enough or he's close enough to what we want being done that he's going to be in there or Eric Gentry is just not healthy enough or we, he just doesn't have his sea legs yet or whatever it is. There's some sort of reason I haven't been able to understand myself either. So uh, I think Connor's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And I look at injuries too. Like Gentry has not been healthy for a long period of his career here at USC and missed all of spring, comes back, was on and off in the fall. And then these last few weeks, he's been on and off. If he was 100% from the jump, I wonder if that would change and maybe we would have seen Cobb and Gentry as those first-team linebackers. Tackett Curtis has definitely been more reliable than Gentry, so maybe that's a reason. Rajon Davis broke his hand earlier, early in fall camp, and he missed some time, so maybe that had something to do with him not being up there as well. Tackett Curtis never missed any time, so that could be a factor as well. I wonder if everyone was healthy exactly what it would look like if they'd have the same rotations. You know, I said I was over with this, but I guess I'm not. Um, Johnny Action says, Ryan and Connor should listen to the Clat Show. He had a good critique of Riley's philosophy on offense, how it does nothing to help the defense. Okay. I mean, I, I, would, I think that's probably a fair criticism. But is that the offense's job? Or is the offensive job to score points? I think it's to score points. What is the defense doing to help the offense? Like they're not getting the kind of turnovers they were last year. You're sort of like, okay, our offense is great. Our defense isn't that great. So we need to like do some things differently with our great stuff to help the crap, the the worst stuff. Right. I don't, I mean, I think it, I'm going to trust Lincoln Riley on this one. If he feels like that's what he should do, but you're, you don't want to like help the defense and not score points. You know, like if I, oh, we're going to help the defense out, but we're going to stop doing the the main job. Our main job is to score points. Are you going to slow that down so you can help the defense? Or are you going to try to get the defense better? I, I Yeah, I think it's just a different philosophy. It's a whole team, right? Um, you, 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 you want everybody kind of working together, special teams, offense, defense, but they all have their own jobs, you know? And I, I don't want to take away the ability of one unit to do their job because there's deficiencies in one of the other units. I guess that would be my philosophy. I would need to listen to that segment before I commented on exactly what was said, because I, I, I do think there's some truths to, to both sides. You want to score on offense. That's obviously the most important goal, but there is a way to help your defense, especially if it's not nearly as talented as your offense. And that comes by bleeding clock. And Caleb Williams was snapping the ball with a lot of time left on the play clock a few times. I think this was a learning experience, and I do think the offense in the future, when they are winning by a large margin, will will learn from this game. And it it might not be exactly what fans want to see in terms of being able to run the ball better, but I don't think it'll be exactly the same. I think they'll make some changes because that's what good football teams do. They learn from the tape, they learn from their previous experience, and, and they make a change. So I think there's uh, both sides of the argument there that that are good, and I expect to see changes in the future. All right. Uh, We probably got to get you out of here soon. We got a a few more questions. Um, I know you're going to go to practice in a bit. Marcel texted in, after watching the game Colorado, one of the things Pete Carroll was famous for was making halftime adjustments. It appears Colorado did too. Is Grinch capable of that? Marcel in the IE. Yeah, he's capable of that. I mean, Definitely capable, but how can you not be at least a little bit 
upset that USC didn't respond to some of the adjustments. And people, I, I was talking about the adjustments on Sunday, and people asked me, what were the adjustments Colorado made? Well, for starters, they targeted Bryson Shaw a heck of a lot more in the second half than the first half. He he had 11 targets and he gave up 10 catches. The majority of those came in the second half. That was a big part of it. I think also Colorado, you know how they were so bad at running the ball earlier in the year? I think they realized, hey, we can run the ball against USC. So that's why even later in the game when their fans booed them, they were still running the ball because they knew that gave them an advantage. So those were a couple of the adjustments they made and maybe USC was slow to react. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Tina from Los Angeles Hey, Ryan, great show. Just a few comments and questions for you and the crew. One, Lloyd should get 20 to 25 carries a game until teams stack the box and show they can stop it. So far, the only thing that has stopped Lloyd are the coaches with so many pass plays. I would say he wasn't as effective in this one, Tina, to be fair. We, we kind of touched on this a little bit. And he looked a little banged. He got a, took a big hit, and he looked a little banged up maybe. So I, I'm less critical on this one. The Arizona State game, I think you were right. He should have ran more. His strength might also be his weakness, like we saw in Colorado. He is not easy to bring down, but when you strain that much and you're trying so hard, it's great. But that's when injuries pop up. If three guys are needed to bring you down consistently, there's a chance you might get a little banged up because if if just one guy's tackling you, there's a, a less chance of an injury. And, of course, there's a lot of different variables there. But that, that's kind of what I gathered watching the Colorado game. He was just, like, trying so hard to prove a point and trying so hard just to to get that extra yard. And, and sometimes you might get called not as tough, but the smarter play is maybe just to go just down go a little down. early, especially if you've already gained so many yards. So I wonder if he learned a little bit from that game because I do think him being a little bit banged up, maybe there wasn't an official injury, but – he, he was definitely slow to get up at some points. I wonder if that affected the run game too. Potentially. She also says, uh, so much he's being thrown at Grinch, rightfully so, but the head coach needs to take responsibility for the offense stalling and being one-dimensional. Additionally, additionally, Dante needs to take responsibility for the poor tackling and bad technique shown by the secondary. Okay, I'm done ranting. We'll sit back and enjoy, as always. Fight on and beat the Wildcats. Tina from LA. Um, and thanks for the great the hard work you guys do. Great content. Well, thanks, Tina. Appreciate Thank you. that. We uh, won't really hear from Dante Williams, so he, you know, he's not going to take any accountability. He might speak like Wednesdays, right? Like, do we we get assistance still on Wednesdays or not really more? Yeah, but it it, it rotates between Henson and Dennis Simmons. Okay, so it's not um, anyone else there. Okay, um, but yeah, I I don't know if the offense. I one of the things that you were talking about helping the other side of the ball. Yeah, the offense didn't do – they didn't score in the last 17 minutes. And so, hey, if you're going to say don't help the defense, well, you got to keep scoring. I do feel like, though, when they see the – it's kind of be a little bit demoralizing sometimes when you see the defense, like, give up. Every time they get the ball, they're giving up a touchdown. And maybe that's, you know, the look on Caleb Williams' face or maybe it was just because they didn't score. But I feel it does put a lot of – it puts more pressure on the offense to keep scoring because they've been doing it all game. But then once you realize that the defense is never going to get a stop, like if how much that impacts the offense too, it seems like that can be a negative impact. Yeah. The frustrating or annoying thing is no one will ever admit that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They'll never say that about their teammates. You got to just read the body language. And it was obvious Caleb Williams didn't seem very happy after that game. I mean, I think that has to be a little bit part of it too. Um, but, you know, no one will ever say it. Yeah, uh, we had a question. I didn't sign it, but it says, uh, what does the senior defensive analyst Greg Brown actually do? Do you think he's actually providing feedback? Yes. <laughs> Seems like a perfect situation to tell the D.C. 
is doing something wrong. Thanks for the show. Love it. Oh, thanks. So it's all behind the scenes stuff. Um, he's, yeah. he's coaching. He, he's watching film and, and giving tips. And yes, he, he is doing everything he can to help the defense. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there. And we're not in those meetings and we don't get to talk to him at all. So we can't ask him. But you know, what do I think he's doing? I think he's coaching. And there's a reason he's there. It's to, to help. Yeah. We don't know the dynamic in there. We haven't heard anything. Um, we, like like Connor said, we, have, we don't get to talk to, to him. Um, we and if ask, we did, he wouldn't tell us what he was doing anyway. No. <laughs> we could talk to Alex Grinch about it, like what kind of feedback or, you know, how's the interaction with Greg Brown? Like we could get him to talk about that. He probably would say. Um, but outside of that, it'd be really hard. All right, we got one last one from Chris. Hello, gentlemen. I'm a first time listener to your podcast. I absolutely loved it. Even though I'm from Massachusetts, my brother and I have been diehard fans of the Trojans for over 45 years. We're heading to Chicago in a couple of weeks, then over to South Bend to watch the Trojans take on Notre Dame and hopefully meeting up with some friends from LA that we've met over the years at different games. I just wanted to say, keep up the great work and my brother and I will be listening to the podcast going forward. Fight on from Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris, we're both from Massachusetts. Yes. Connor and I are both. Uh, Email us back and let us know where. Franklin and Medway, neighboring towns. Milford. Milford. Sorry, I, I meant Milford. Yeah, you got it. Like <laughs> Yeah, I went to Milford High School. Not Medway. Originally from Western Pennsylvania, but I moved to Massachusetts when I was like 11. You were like born and raised there, right? Yes. Uh, born in Maine, moved there when I was five. So. Oh, and Maine's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, you know, I lived in New England. And it's funny, like when you meet people from the West Coast, like as Americans, we're not great on like, you know, geography in general. I think... The rest of America is very bad on like New England geography, like realizing like you can be in six states. It's because, you know, back the old school puzzles, like if you had a puzzle of the United States, like New England was basically one piece. Like then <laughs> Rhode Island doesn't get its own piece. It's like super small, shoved in there next to Connecticut and stuff. You got Vermont and New Hampshire. And then, you know, Maine's kind of, you know, Maine could be their own. But um, yeah, it's all kind of like lumped up there together. Um, but yeah. People, a lot of people out west don't really understand like the New England dynamic, which is kind of funny. Sorry, I said Medway. I can't believe I said that. That's, That's another right. neighboring Franklin. Town. There's a I got, lot of I got my M's mixed up. There's a lot of M towns, and there's a lot of Milford, like there's Milford, Connecticut, yeah. and all this stuff. There's other ones there, but but you literally Franklin Milford are connected. Yeah. Uh, Four ninety five. It's like oh, if you want to take the T like to Boston, like you get the train in Franklin and go up. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. All right. Uh, my apologies. We weren't able to put up any of the comments on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, but I know we were very active in there. I think we had like 190 people or something. Thank you so much for um, listening and watching the show. And uh, yeah, I get, I mean, I get you guys saying that the offense needs to help the defense. I mean, there's definitely things that could be done. I would just be a little cautious knowing that the offense is ridiculously good. Don't want to screw with it too much because it's really freaking good. That's your best thing. That's your number one thing. <laughs> Don't mess it up. All right. Uh, thank you guys all so much for uh, listening and watching uh, the Peristyle Podcast for Triple Double over there, uh, Connor Morissette. Uh, I am Ryan Abraham. I hope you sincerely enjoyed the show, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Trader Joe's in Southern California. We go way back. Kind of like USC football. In, in the beginning, it was so bad that uh, Dave Hetzel and I took turns dressed in a gorilla suit, flagging people in. 
That's from episode one of Inside Trader Joe's. We hope you'll check it out. Or some of our other podcast episodes about the past, present, and future of Trader Joe's and all those cool products. Inside Trader Joe's is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 